But even the best of us make mistakes and fail. Sometimes we let the circumstance dictate our actions rather than the God we serve. Welcome to Uncaged Bible Study. We hope our name gives it away as we are looking to unleash God's word in its entirety from beginning to end and unlock the power within the pages of scripture. We aim to restore the authority of God's word in a world that has lost its understanding of doctrinal truths, as well as shed a light on how from the first page to the last page, the Bible is pointing us towards Messiah, our Savior, Jesus. So we hope you enjoy the Bible study today. And if you did, follow us or share the podcast to help us spread the word around the globe. And if you leave us a five-star review, that's a great way to let us know that you say amen and are impacted by what you've heard. So thank you for joining us on this journey. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the Bible is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It simply needs to be let out of its cage. Let's unlock the cage together. So, in the last session, we, um, we covered the fall of the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom had been taken over by Assyria. You're going to catch a little bit of that story in this next chapter. But for the most part, moving forward, we're really just dealing with the southern kingdom of Judah and the lineage of David. Now, the last couple of chapters were pretty rough. The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah were in pretty rough positions. Um, Both kings, pretty evil. The southern kingdom of Judah, which is going to be the focus moving forward, the king at the time in the last few chapters was Ahaz. And he was as evil as the kings in the north. Uh, And we're going to see some contrast today as we move forward. So, Chapter 18, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. So because the focus is going back to the southern kingdom, we're going to the next king, which is Hezekiah. But Hezekiah's reign started as the fall of the northern kingdom was happening. So we traveled back in time a little bit, um, and we're in right near the end of the northern kingdom, and Hezekiah has taken over. Now, he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. So after that dramatic tension and the king failing, and even the kings that were good prior to Ahaz, Uh, they still had a lot of failures in that they did not remove the high places or some of the false worship practices in Israel, even though they were personally dedicated to God. They didn't affect the kingdom. But what we see in Hezekiah is a glimmer of hope and and a change. Because it says not only did he do what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done, verse 4 tells us he removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. 
So Hezekiah, not only was he a good king who followed God, he actually wanted to affect the culture and get people to start worshiping rightly again. And he broke down all of the high places, burned them down, took them out, um, and he even destroyed something that had become an idol to Israel, which was a positive image in their past, and it had become an idol. So this bronze serpent, if you remember the story, in the book of Numbers, as the Israelites are traveling around Egypt, they're complaining about God, or they're, they're traveling around the desert. They've left Egypt. They're traveling around the desert before they reach Israel in their wandering years, and they're complaining against God, and then snakes come into the camp, and they start biting people's ankles, and Israelites are dying. And now they're asking Moses to save them. And God goes to Moses and asks what he can do. And God tells Moses, make a bronze serpent and place it up on a pole. And when you lift the pole up, when those look up at the pole, they will be healed. Now that bronze serpent was likely on a cross-shaped fixture hanging on a wooden frame that looked like a cross. And the snake is the symbol of sin. And so they're looking at, the sim, at sin hanging on a cross, and then they get healed. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us as our sacrifice. And so it's a real foreshadowing of what Jesus would ultimately do. But over time, because of the history of what had, this thing had done and the pagan relationships to the culture surrounding Israel, they started to worship this thing as an idol and gave it almost godlike status. And they burned incense to it, and they even called it Nehushtan. Which, so you understand, because it's a serpent, that's what the word means. It's a serpent, but it's the same word, or it's a variation of the word Nahash. And Nahash is the word used in Genesis 3 when it describes the serpent who deceived Eve. And that's what they're calling this thing as they burn incense to it. So in essence, they're really worshiping a false god that they're calling Nakash, which is the same name given to Satan in Genesis 3. So Hezekiah gets rid of that thing, not just the high places, but he really is getting people to move back towards God. So this is a nice, this is good. Like we start out, we're only five verses in, four verses in, and it's good news. So... We'll see how that goes. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of, of Judah, nor who were before him. And that's high praise. The Bible is saying Hezekiah was such a good king, there weren't even any kings after or before him who were like him. Now, we're going to see some good kings in the future as we finish up uh, Second Kings. But they weren't like Hezekiah. Now, there is a king in the future, named Josiah, who is one of my favorites. And it, the Bible says about him that there, were no, there was no king in the history of Israel, before or after, who loved the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength like Josiah. Meaning, he loved God more than Hezekiah, more than David. He loved God, but he didn't affect the culture around him. He might have torn down high places and, and false worship, but he didn't change the hearts of the people the way that Hezekiah did. The hearts of the people started to turn towards God under Hezekiah. That's a really good thing. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. 
the Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. So here we go. Hezekiah, really good king, loved God, tore down the high places, got rid of idols, turned the hearts of the people toward God, and he even broke a pact with Assyria and he stopped paying tribute to them, the tribute that his father Ahaz started paying to Assyria to keep them safe as Assyria was growing and expanding in the region and becoming more powerful. Remember, this is before the fall of the northern kingdom because we still went back in time a little bit. And he subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from Watchtower to the fortified city. So Hezekiah is successful. He's even expanded the territory of Israel to closer to its promised borders. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Assyria, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it and at the end of three years took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. So here's the backdrop. Hezekiah has been really successful. He's getting a little bit proud of the work that he's done as king, which is natural. And he even stopped paying tribute to the king of Assyria because of how successful he had been. And now, the king of Assyria has taken over the northern kingdom of Israel, meaning Assyria is now right on Judah's borders as he has angered the Assyrian king. So that's the backdrop of what's about to happen next because now Hezekiah is worried. So then the king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria and put them in Halah and by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant in all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. And they would neither hear nor do them. And in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, so now there's a new king in Assyria, king of Assyria, came up against all fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then Hezekiah of Judah sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and all the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. So what's happened? Assyria is on the borders of Judah, of the southern kingdom of Judah. And in that time, Hezekiah is getting a little bit nervous because he stopped paying tribute to the Assyrians. And the Assyrians are now coming after the kingdom of Judah next. And at the, on the outskirts of Judah are the fortified cities to prevent further incursion on their border. It's like the Great Wall of China uh, is on the border to prevent people from coming in. It's the same thing. They built up fortified cities around the border of the southern kingdom of Judah to prevent encroachment from other armies. But these cities got taken over by the king of Assyria, and now Hezekiah is really worried. And he even sends a message to the king of Assyria saying, 
oh, I've sinned against you. I'm sorry that we stopped paying tribute, basically. I'm sorry that we stopped paying the tax. I'll give you whatever you want if you just leave us alone. Just don't come after us. Don't go any further into our borders. That's what Hezekiah is saying. And the king of Assyria says, give me, was it 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So what he's really saying in our terms is this is what you owe me so that I won't come in further to your borders. You owe me 10 metric tons of silver and one metric ton of gold. And Hezekiah takes from the treasury of not only his treasury, but from the treasury of the temple. And he strips gold off of the doors and pillars of the temple from God's house to give it to the king of Assyria. And what does that tell us? That Hezekiah is not a bad king, but even the best of us make mistakes and fail. Sometimes we let the circumstance dictate our actions rather than the God we serve because we forget that God is bigger than our circumstance. And that's what happened with Hezekiah. And we'll see if he gets any better, if he fixes or remedies the situation. We'll see. So verse 17, Then the king of Assyria sent the, the Tartan, the Rebsaris, and the Rabshakeh from Lachish with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. So he paid this tribute, and the Assyrians are still going after Jerusalem. So it didn't do him any good. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they had come up, they went and stood by the aqueduct to the upper pool, which was on the highway to Fuller's Field. Now this is the, this is the problem. He went to appease an enemy and try to find a compromise. He paid tribute to him, gave him a ton of gold. He sinned against God in the process, hoping that appeasement would work. But appeasement, often in foreign policy, shows weakness, which means that the enemy has now gained strength and confidence because they see your weakness, and they think they can take advantage of it, and that's exactly what has happened here. Um, it also models what happened in Ukraine. We gave up leverage by allowing Putin to rebuild the Nord Stream 2 pipeline and cut off our oil production. And so we gave him leverage through appeasement, gave Putin leverage through appeasement uh, over Europe. And so he then had the boldness to invade Ukraine. Because through our appeasement, we gave him leverage and he saw our weakness. And now we've been witnessing the largest land war in Europe since World War II. And the threat keeps getting bigger and bigger. So times haven't changed all that much and human nature hasn't changed all that much. So and when they called to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. Then Rabshakeh said to them, so this is the servant of the king of Assyria coming out against Jerusalem. He says now, speaking for the king of Assyria, say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king of Assyria, what confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. 
In whom do you trust that you rebel against me? And he's basically saying, you showed weakness. How dare you say that you have a heart for war? You've already shown weakness. That's why we're invading. Now look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who trust in him? But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, it is not he, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? So what you're seeing here is a battle strategy and a battle plan. The Assyrians are telling them, don't trust in Egypt as your ally because we're going after them next. We're going to crush them. Egypt can't come against us. And if you're saying you trust in God, now they're getting, this is a misunderstanding by the Assyrians. They think Hezekiah has gone against the God of Israel because he tore down the high places and the false worship areas and the idols. And he's saying you only worship in Jerusalem. And they misunderstand how God works because it's very different from their pagan culture. They think that Hezekiah has dishonored God because how you worship the pagan gods is going to the high places and worshiping multiple gods all throughout the land. But Israel is not like that. And so they have a complete misunderstanding of who God is, and yet they're boasting against him because they think God's turned their back on Israel because Israel has torn down his high places, and that's not true. Now, therefore, I urge you, give, you a, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to put riders on them. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. So now they're even telling the people, the, the armies of Hezekiah, that God himself has commanded the Assyrians to take them out. They're really trying to press fear, and they're lying. And they're even saying, you know, if you capitulate to us, if you just surrender to us, look at all the good things we're going to give you. We're going to give you a land flowing basically with milk and honey. The promise that God gave them in Israel is what they're promising to give in to the Assyrians. And they're acting like a false god. It's like the lie of the serpent all over again. So then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah said to Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. And do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. So now what you grasp is the enemy army, the Assyrian army, is speaking in Hebrew so that the residents beyond the wall can hear what they're saying because they're trying to instill fear in the citizens, not just the army. But the Rabshakeh said to them, Has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words, and not the men who sit on the wall? Who will eat and drink their own waste with you? So it really just kind of sniveling, snarky remarks. Really just putting down these poor guys, humiliating them. Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew, so that everyone can hear it, and spoke, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. 
Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. Now remember, the people inside the walls are hearing this in Hebrew. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present, and come out to me, and every one of you eat from his own vine, and every one from his own fig tree. And every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. So, he's saying, we're going to cut you off from your resources. You're only going to be able to have what's inside those walls. And if a cistern is cracked, you have no water. You only have what you can produce within there. There's no extra resources. We're cutting you off. But if you surrender to us, we'll bring you into a land of new bread and wine and olive groves. Look at all we'll give you. Just surrender to us. Don't buy what Hezekiah is selling. Don't let Hezekiah tell you the Lord is going to deliver you. We're coming after you. Then he says, Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim and Hena and Iva? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand? that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was do not answer him. Now we get a glimpse of Hezekiah's leadership. Now this fear that they're trying to instill in the people and the army, saying, don't let Hezekiah lie to you. We're on a mission from your God. We're going to destroy you. And even, even if we weren't, Look at all the nations that have surrounded you that we have taken over. Have any of the gods of those nations saved them? What makes you think your God is any better? We're coming to destroy you. But the people didn't listen because King Hezekiah said, don't respond. And so they didn't. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of Rabshakeh. So the messengers that Hezekiah had sent out come back to him, but they come with torn robes. Basically, they're showing they're in mourning, they're in grief from what was said to them. So this is what we get now in chapter 19. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it, that he tore his clothes, covered himself in sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. So what does King Hezekiah do? He tears his robes, he goes into mourning as well, and he immediately goes to worship God. That's his first response to this danger. Now, it should have been his response earlier when he messed up and gave the king of Assyria everything he wanted and even took gold and silver from the temple. Um, but he's making it right. He goes in immediately to worship God. Then... He sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and elders of the priests covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. Now, 
This is another thing he should have done earlier, but he's doing it right. He's now seeking out God's prophet, Isaiah. This is the same Isaiah who wrote the book of Isaiah. In fact, when we go through Isaiah, you'll see some of this repeated in Hezekiah's life. And just as a future note, right, we've gone slowly through 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings. When we get through this, we'll do an overview of 1st and 2nd Chronicles along with Samuel and Kings. Um, but we've gone through this in a detailed way because when we go through the prophets, it will also make more sense because all of the prophets are dated by which king existed at the time. So you'll have some background reference when we go through the prophets. But anyway, Hezekiah seeks out Isaiah, the prophet, and he's looking to hear what God has to say as he goes to worship him. So they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. For the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring forth. This is the message that Hezekiah sends to Isaiah. He basically says, we've gotten to a point where everything is ready. Like war is about to break out. He equates it to labor pains, right? Labor is about to happen, but the pain and the strength has gotten to us. We, we have no strength left because of the pain and the contractions we've dealt with thus far. We have nothing left. And in ancient times, they didn't have C-sections. The baby would just die if the woman couldn't push the baby out. And that's what Hezekiah is saying. We have no strength left to fight this battle. What will God do? What is his message to us? It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So they ask Isaiah to pray to God on their behalf, hoping that God will defend them and that he, he will hear the prayers of Isaiah. Now, sometimes we often think that the more spiritual people around us are the ones who God hears the prayers from, and we ask really spiritual people to pray for us. But this instance is different because Hezekiah isn't just depending on Isaiah to pray. He went directly to the temple to worship himself. He's not asking someone to pray on their behalf. He's asking someone to pray with him, which is the right attitude to have. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them thus, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So Isaiah says, Don't worry. Um, they're going to return, and they're going to end up dying by their own sword um, from a rumor that they hear. That's the word that Isaiah gives him. So then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. So this guy who had given this message to Hezekiah has returned because he heard that the king was fighting a battle on a different front. And so the king heard concerning Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, look, he has come out to make war with you. 
So again, he sent messengers to Hezekiah. So the king and this servant are kind of missing each other. Um, and they're fighting in different fronts. He's in the wrong place. And so the king of Assyria sends another messenger to Hezekiah. And the other messenger to Hezekiah says this, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, have you heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them? Shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan and Haran and Rezif and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, Hina, and Iva? And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, God of Israel. Now before we read this prayer, he gets a letter again from the king of Assyria basically saying, no nation, no other nation's God has protected them from Assyria. What makes you so special? We're coming to destroy you. Hezekiah receives this letter, and he goes to the temple and prays before God. And this is his prayer, and this is a big deal. O Lord, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and the lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. So Hezekiah's prayer, in response to this letter, that says, all the gods of all the other kingdoms have not stood up for the kingdoms. How do you think you're any different than us? Hezekiah's prayer to God is, God, you're the real God. You're not a God out of nature. You're not a God created by man's hands. You are the creator God outside of the universe, the one who made everything. You're not the king of... You're not the God of just Israel. You're the God of all of the nations of the earth. Show off. Do your thing because through what you do here, the rest of the nations will know that you are God. And that's his prayer. He understands the difference from the pagan mindset. They worship creation, whether it's nature itself or things made by their own hands that they make as idols and worship them. But Israel is the only one that worships the true creator, the one outside of nature. And he knows the difference. And he says, God, show off. So then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah saying, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Israel, Assyria, I have heard. This is the word which the Lord spoke to him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Whom have you blasphemed and repro reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. 
By your messengers, you have reproached the Lord and said, By the multitude of my chariots, I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its cypress trees. I will enter the extremity of its borders to its fruitful forest. I have dug uh, and drunk storage water. With the soles of my feet, I have dried up all of the brooks of the defense. So the message so far is pushing back against the boastfulness of the Assyrians and how they think they're going to affect Israel. That's all that is. They've boasted all of these things against Israel and how they're going to destroy them and what they're going to do, including drying up their water source. And that's what Isaiah is expressing to Hezekiah. He said, did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times that I formed it? Now I have brought it to pass that you should that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore, their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herb and the grass of the housetops and grain blighted before it's, it's grown. Now, the message is, yeah, you, Assyria, you have destroyed neighboring nations, but only because I allowed you to. You, you worship a different God, you should worship me. Because we are, the, I am the reason, the true God is the reason and has control. And you have only been given what I've given you. So don't boast of your own accord because you only get what God gives. He says, but I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in and your rage against me. Because your rage against me and your tumult, have come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by which the way you came. There shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and in the second year what springs from the same. Also in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards, and eat fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped the house of Judah shall again take root downward, bear fruit upward, for out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant. For those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So basically, he's saying, you'll have a couple of good crops and good years, and you're going to think you're doing well. But by the third year, it's not going to go well for you. And regardless of your besieging Jerusalem, you will not prevail. And the remnant left will restore the area of Jerusalem, and they will repopulate, and they're going to win. And God is going to turn you back around and you're going to go exactly back to where you came from. You do not have authority over God. That's the message. And therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city nor shoot an arrow there. That's bold. He's saying Sennacherib and his army, they won't even enter the city. They won't even be able to shoot an arrow into Jerusalem, nor come before it with shield nor build a siege mound against it by the way that he came. By the same he shall return, and he shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So God is basically saying I'm doing this for my own glory and to preserve the promise I made to David. So it came to pass on a certain night, that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 180,000, 85,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. Now imagine that moment. The enemy army wants to advance on Jerusalem. 
and 185,000 people are dead, and you don't know why. Now, for superstitious pagans, you get out of there. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away. He returned home and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his god, that his sons, Adramelech and Sherezer, struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat, which is Turkey. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. So what we see is Hezekiah's prayer and his relation, what he related to Isaiah was, God, we're, we're beaten. We don't have any strength left. We trust in you, but war is approaching and we don't have the energy to fight this battle. But we're coming to you. And I... God's response was, You're not, they're not even going to be able to shoot an arrow into your city. And God protects them, and he wins the battle all by himself. And the angel of the Lord, which, you know, everywhere else in the Old Testament that you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, that is Jesus showing up in the Old Testament, comes down and wipes out 185,000 members of the Assyrian army. And they wake up and it's just corpses all around. And they get the message, and they head back home. And then Sennacherib, the king who led this fight against Jerusalem, is killed by his own sons who flee, and then a different son takes reign in Assyria. So this big overarching thing that happens between these two chapters, I would sum it up in this way. Hezekiah was a good king. That doesn't mean that as good as he was and as, a, as great an ex, as example as he was doesn't mean that he didn't make mistakes. And so in our own journeys and, and faith, sometimes we need to understand that we will get caught up in circumstance and we will fail. But if we repent and return to God after that failure, God is still on your side. So Hezekiah did that. And when he turned to God, it's another reminder that God is bigger than the circumstance. Hezekiah knew that they had no chance. God wiped out the enemy all by himself. And so if God is for us, who can be against us? But are we praying to God with others and going directly to him or relying on our own strength? Um, and when Hezekiah didn't rely on his wisdom and strength, and relied on God's wisdom and strength. They were victorious only because of what God did all on his own. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the story, um, and thank you for the faithfulness of Isaiah and Hezekiah. God, I'm so thankful for this story, to know that you're so honest with us in your word. Even when you have a king that's praised highly, you show his faults because our faith is a journey. And if we didn't make mistakes, we wouldn't need Jesus, but we do make mistakes and we need him so badly. And God, help us to turn to you and to repent from our failures and sins uh, and rely on your strength and wisdom, not our own. 
and help us know that the battle belongs to you. And if you are for us, who can be against us? And help us see victory through the gospel expanding in our area. In Jesus' name, amen.